Howdy. Glad you are here. Uh, on your way into the services, you should have been handed the notes uh, for this weekend. If you'll grab those, uh, let me welcome in all of our campuses, not just Lone Tree, uh, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, all of our live streamers right now. So last week, um, we had some pretty uh, traumatic weather, especially on Saturday. I think it sort of surprised everybody. How about this? Aren't you glad that the preaching is more accurate than the weather forecast is? <laughs> I, I thought about this when I went home. I, I wonder if um, pastors would be allowed to miss it like five out of ten times or eight out of ten. There, there's a different standard, isn't there? Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I think it surprised everybody last weekend. Um, we had a, a record number of people live streaming us uh, in, in our, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think one of the pastors called them wimps or something like that, and the rest of you were the tough ones, but just, just teasing. Hey, uh, two, two quick things. Uh, a week ago... Um, had a, had a, uh, it was my birthday and, uh, had so many people that uh, apparently had been planned and, and wrote, uh, cards to me. And, um, Chris and I went home and we, we literally read every one of those cards. It took us about three hours to read all the cards. It was super. Um, I, I went to bed, I, I think sort of drunk on all the compliments that I was paid. Uh, and I, I just wanted to say thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time. To, to do something like that. It really was. It was a neat thing. Thank you, too. You clap, whoever you are. If you're not, yeah, just thank, thank you right there. And I wish everybody else would love me. The monkey card. That actually scared me, and I couldn't sleep. No, I'm, I'm um, And then, then let, me, let me go this way, too. Uh, Wednesday night, we had at the close of last weekend, we talked about gathering together. We'd fast for those who wanted to, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then meet together Wednesday night. We had a tremendous turnout. Uh, for the prayer night on Wednesday night. And it was just, it was real intimate worship and then a time of just corporate prayer. And the hunger that was just here for that was just awesome. And I just wanted to say, if um, you weren't able to be there last weekend, here's, here's what's gonna, or last Wednesday, here's what's gonna happen. We're, we're just gonna call it Second Wednesday Prayer. And it's the second Wednesday of every month we'll meet together. And for those that just wanna dive in or just looking for opportunities to position yourself where God can move and to minister, we want to invite you to be a part of that. Here's what I would love. I would love to fill the room. I think we had about 500 people here Wednesday night that just came out for prayer. I'd love to have that grow, not just maintain, but grow. Wouldn't it be great to have the prayer as one of the leading ministries inside of our church? I would love to see that happen. So I uh, just want to invite you. You don't have to be a person who's like, I'm into prayer. I have a gift of prayer. It could just be that you want to position yourself for God to, to do things in your life. It's a great opportunity for that. And we'll, we'll announce it on an ongoing basis. All right, let's, uh, let's jump into this. Uh, second week of a message that we just started called For Christ's Sake. And I said last week, I've taken a little bit of, um, of kidding from my friends. One of my friends said to me, is your next series going to be called Oh My God? No, that's not, uh, not what I'm doing. And I don't mean it uh, disrespectfully. I don't mean it irreverently. I don't mean it... Um, uh, casually, I'm not taking the name of the Lord in vain. I'm not throwing it around. I'm in it literally pulling it from a scripture uh, that is uh, found in Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 11. Now, last week I actually read uh, that, that passage of scripture. And twice in it, Paul teaches the Philippian church uh, that everything we're supposed to be doing is supposed to be considered for the sake of Christ. So that's literally where the, the idea for the message came from. It wasn't just some title that we were trying to be salacious with. We really thought, hey, the first of the year, let's look. Let's take inventory. Let's ask ourselves, are the things we're doing for the sake of Christ? Is this what God wants us to Is it the direction we're supposed to be going? So I guess in a way, the message has to do with spiritual inventory. It has to do with why we're doing what we're doing, where we want to go in 2014, what we want to see God 
accomplish in our lives. I began last week saying this, one year from right now, everybody's going to be someplace spiritually. For many of us, it's only going to be a reactionary place based on the fact that life comes at us so fast. The velocity that we live our lives at happens so fast, we don't plan our spiritual lives out. We more or less respond to what's happening around us. Is that, is that true in any way, shape, or form? And I, I think unless we make our spiritual lives, I want to be on purpose about this. I want to see this happen. I, I, I want to grow in this area. I want, I want God to do this. I, here, here's what I think. I, I think that, yeah, we're, we're going to end up someplace, but it, it will be maybe a surprise to us where we end up at and not necessarily the place that we want to end up at. And so we're talking about being on purpose with our spiritual lives and why we're doing what we're doing. So this week, here's where uh, I, I want to go. I, I put down, um, we're going to talk a little bit uh, this, this weekend on why we do what we do as a church. And then I also wrote down maybe another way to say it would just be in my mind, and, and this will become maybe a little more important, but you'll see the, the idea on this. I want to talk about what's the win on a weekend at JFC? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the way? Now, some of you are like, hey, we're just trying to survive, man. Just get through, and you say amen, and off we go. I hope you don't just come for that. I hope you come with the idea we want God to move in our lives. We want to see something that we want to grow spiritually. We want to, we want to see God do, do great things in us. So, so what's the win? What are we trying to accomplish when we're here? And I got thinking this week, years and years ago, when we, we started the church, uh, this year will be 16 years. So, so in 98, we came and we, we planted the church and I remember one of the, the founding philosophies that not only did we have and that we taught, but we've tried to live by this. We, we tried to model this in the way that we treat uh, our, our community and other churches in our community and, and folks in our community. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember Baskin-Robbins' uh, big, uh, their, their advertising campaign, 30 Wonderful Flavors? Yeah, I know. I know you're exposing yourself. Go ahead. It's it's all right. So I, some of us are like, you know, it was it was the idea that Baskin Robbins had multiple flavors. And I, when we started the church, um, one of the things that that I noticed at the time, we had to deal with all of this as a new church. What kind of advertising are you going to do? Are you going to send out? You probably get them in your mail right now from different churches. Little postcards that advertise what's going on at a church. Here's what I want you to do. Next time you get one, I want you to pay attention to this very carefully. I want you to look at what they're advertising against. Are they simply reaching into the community, trying to tell people that Jesus loves them, cares for them, and is around? Or are they setting themselves up against another church? Here's what I mean by that. Many of the advertisements say, look in the phone book. I, there's not many of those. Hey, let me give you three things going away in our lifetime, right? How about landlines? Yes or no? We, we only have one because we are too old to get along without it, we think. And it never even rings anymore. Cell phones. How, how about digital cameras? That was the new hot technology. Those are going away. Very. I'll give you another one that I think will go away very quickly. Um, uh, uh, DVD players. I think people are st streaming is where people, but never mind, this is another message for another time. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, so dealing with just where we're going in the future, we looked, how are we going to let people know that we're here? And so I had several advertisers that had contacted us, and they actually wrote up uh, little demos of what a mailer could look like, and it was going to demo this. Our, basically, it didn't say this in so many words, but this is what it was saying. Our teaching is alive and fresh, and our atmosphere is casual. Casual compared to what, though? Casual compared to the mall? No, think about it for a minute. Casual compared to what? Compared to another church. 
most of the church advertising that's done is our church is better than your church. So come on. So here's what we have. We have great transfer growth that goes on in the kingdom. People move from church to church based on a lot of times advertising. Word of mouth. All right, is there anything wrong with people that come from? No, there, there's not. But if you intentionally aim at that as your growth method, I don't think it honors the kingdom of God. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah. I, and so I remember being challenged early on when we started the church. What, what, are, what is going to be our stance with other churches? Now, let me, let me define other churches. Life-giving churches, meaning that they preach Christ. Not every church preaches Christ, so not every church am I on the same team with. Does that make sense? But if they teach Christ, but they do it a different way than we do it, we're not going to advertise ourselves against them. We're going to link arms with them, because here was our motto. Let's make it hard for people in our area to go to hell. That's really where our fight is at. You agree with that? It's not, it's not with, with the church across the street. It's not with no other church. We're on the same team. And, and I think we, we just had to make our mind up early on, how are we going to ever? So here's what we did. We put together a flyer, and it was a mailer. We put it in, a, we put it in the Valpac thing. We put it in the newspaper. We put it in different places. And what it said on it, in great big letters, you had to actually look at it, but the, the thing you would see, it would say Jesus on it. And that, that name right there is polarizing one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? It causes people to stop and look at it. And here's all it said. Celebrate Jesus with us. That was it. And we gave the times that we met together. We didn't advertise it against another church. Now, here's, here's our annual advertising budget. Zero. We do no advertising. Now, well, couldn't you get more people if you did? Yes, but I'm not sure that that's the kind of growth that we want. We want more growth that comes from people, conversions. And not from one church to another. From the world to Christ. So we, 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 we just intentionally... So we, we, here was our motto. We said Jubilee is going to be like part of the Basket Robins. That if they're life-giving churches, we're just one of 30 wonderful flavors that God uses. Here's what I know. God created a plethora of different people. How about this? I bet you married somebody who does not like the exact same food that you like. The longer you're married, they probably don't like many of the things that you like. But here, come on. <laughs> but do you, do you, that's what makes restaurants work in the community, so many different kinds, yes or no? So if all we ate was Chinese food every day, you get sick of it. Wow. When we debrief, that did not work. Remind me <laughs> that that did not work right there, not to say it again in any of our services. All right, so here's, here's, here's what we said. We, we just positioned ourselves to say we were going to be a particular flavor in the kingdom, not the flavor of the kingdom. And the people who came here, we weren't going to try to be like another church. We weren't going to try to not be. We were going to be who we were and let people, if they liked our flavor, yes, they're with us. Here's what we felt. If we fed people well, they'd know where to come back to get a good meal. That's sort of the way that we looked at it. And so we had this attitude, all right, what does God want to do? We don't have to try to compete with another church. And in fact, when we started, we couldn't compete with other churches that were so much. We couldn't be everything to everybody. We had to only be a couple of things to people. So we said, what can we do well? Okay, well, here's the things we're going to do. That's what we tried to stand on. And then as it grew, here's what we decided to do. You don't know this. 
So we don't advertise this. We don't make it a big deal, mostly because we don't want it to sound like uh, because of JFC these things happen. But almost every new church that gets planted in our community, we help support. You do things, you, you pay rent, or you give rents away for free, or you buy equipment, or you help pay pastor's salary. We do that for so many church plants in our area. Why? Because it's a demonstration that we're on the same team with each other. That was a little better than my birthday clap or in, the, in the beginning. So maybe by the end of it, there'll be... It's rich, I'm starting to sweat, bro. It's, it's, you know, my wife said to me today, you don't sweat much anymore. Because it was like a curse that was... All right. Um, <clears throat> snow is right. So I, I met with a pastor from Denver who actually, a uh, neat guy, um, he has a pretty, pretty good-sized church, does a lot of inner-city ministry. And uh, he, he just... Um, made an appointment with me. I set a lot of time in my schedule to meet with pastors. He came and he sat with me, and this was his observation. Um, he, he sort of like goes from different churches to learn, and he said, I, I sat in your service like a secret shopper. And he said, do you want to know what my observations were? And I said, well, I guess it really depends on what you're about to tell me, because <laughs> if it's bad, I no, don't tell me. He goes, no. He goes, I want to, he said, you have a particular niche that you have found. He said, you're charismatic, but you're not crazy. That's what he said. He said, he said, he, he said it's like, he said, it's like uh, people can go to your church and can experience, the, like Marcus announces, prophetic ministry, personal prophetic ministry. So that, that for so many people would be like, ah, what is that? We do it in a way that's like you got your seatbelt on when we say it. You know what I mean by that right there? So it gives an opportunity. For so so here, here's, we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't feel like we have to do every one of them every time we meet together on a weekend. That most of those things can take place in and during the week when people can actually, when it can be explained to them and it can be taught to them and they can participate and actually act on those things. That makes sense? So it grows a healthy thing. So we decide, okay, here's, so the guy comes, he says, you have a particular niche that you found. You haven't tried to copy. You haven't pulled from church growth books and where you walk in the door and you can tell they're doing these things because they're trying to, you just are who you are. I thought that, that's true. We are, we, I don't know good or bad. We are what we are. So I put then why we do the things that we do. I, I think sometimes when the church was younger, I was so much more on purpose to teach almost every time we're doing this because this is the outcome that we want to happen for people. But as it grew, then there's, you know, you almost lose, uh, there's only so much time, and so you, you, you cut a lot of things out. You take for granted People will know why we're doing these. It's like our response time, the crosses that are up. When, when we went, we didn't always do that. A, a lot of time our worship was always on the front end, a half hour of worship or so, and then we'd teach, and basically there'd just be some type of quick ministry, and off people would go. We decided that one of the values, and I'll hit this last, was the response to God. That if people didn't actually touch God in our service, it didn't matter how good we, we taught, you didn't get what we were trying to achieve. We didn't want you to walk out of here being smarter. We wanted you to walk out of here with the revelation of God's love in your heart. Does that make sense? So, so it, it was like, okay, and when we did these things, we, went to, we explained them almost week after week. Here's what we're doing, but as time goes by, you don't explain. It's almost like you're just hoping people get it. So we've been looking 
at especially coming to the end of 2013 and into 2014, asking ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? And is God still in it? And does God want us to stop anything that's just become a sacred cow? Here's what I said when we put the different elements up, when we went to weekly communion and the, and the crosses and, and the response time. When we said, I said at the time we did that, it will become as religious as anything else a church does after time goes by. Seven or eight years goes by. Looking at it now, does it still have the meaning that it has? Does it, is it still what God wants to do? Does, are people still getting the value out of it? So asking myself, what's the win for us on the weekend? So, so maybe you're sitting there like, John, is this a very, is, it a, is this a biblical mess? It may be the most biblical message I can give you. And I, look at me right now. This is important. Hear me on this. Let me be your pastor for a minute and listen to me. Do not be ambivalent about what takes place when you come here on a weekend. If you're ambivalent about church, then I, I mean this with the kindest heart. That is not what God wants for you. And if you stay ambivalent here, find a church where you're not going to be ambivalent, where you can give yourself fully to it, where you're excited about it, where you jump in with both feet, where you give it everything you've got because your spiritual life is more important than just passing time. Do not do that. Do not be ambivalent about it. For the sake of the kingdom of God, and I mean that without malice in my heart, I'm not like, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. That's not what I'm saying. My hope would be that you would not be ambivalent and that you dive into what I'm saying. But if you find yourself like, that's just diametrically opposed to where I'm at, find a church where you can jump in, man. So then again, if you're like, you know, I've been trying to find one for 40 years. Maybe the common denominator is not what you think. Okay, so... <laughs> Don't be ambivalent. Get on board. So Luke 4, 18 through 20. Let me tell you the significance of this scripture. If you've gone here long enough, I've taught from this scripture several times. When I was 15, I was raised a Catholic kid. When I say that, it's amazing how many people come to me and say, I was raised a Catholic kid. Good friends that I have, that we have similar experiences in life that we share. I was raised a Catholic kid who was taught about God, but didn't know God. So I'm not bashing any Catholic tradition under the sun. I'm telling you my experience, and I have a right to say what my experience was. So I knew about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I went to catechism. I made my first communion. I was an altar boy. Most people don't know that about me. I was an altar boy. And I never had... The things that have gone on the past several, I, I, we had good priests. We had good church. I mean, it, but we were never taught personal relationship. I had knowledge, but it was never in my heart. Does that make sense? So that when it got into my heart and I got it, it's not inside the Catholic church. It was at a church that taught those things as being real, as being live these things out. Get these things in your heart that Christ didn't just do this 2,000 years ago, but he's doing it now. It's got in my heart. Changed my life. It's... It's the thing that I lived on. All right, so at, at 15, I have a knowledge now of a personal relationship with God. I picked a Bible up, 15, and I played Bible roulette. Do you know what that is? Some of you are like, did it this morning. <laughs> it's Bible roulette. God, I need an answer for 
do you want me to marry this person? <laughs> and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. <laughs> if she offers me bread, I'll marry her. And we play religious games like God's speech. All right, so I'm 15. So I pick up a Bible, and here's the question that I ask God. What do you want me to do with my life? This is a pretty thoughtful question for a 15-year-old. Pretty thoughtful question. So I play Bible roulette. I'm flipping through. I don't go to the Old Testament. I go to the New Testament. I'm flipping through. I stop at Luke 4. It begins with these words right here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. I remember reading that, and I don't know if you have had this experience. I would dare to say that probably, if you're a believer for any length of time, you've probably experienced this. There's times you can read the Bible and it's ink and paper, and then there's times you read it and it comes to life. The very heartbeat of God is in the words on the page. And it leaps out at you, it grabs you, it, it talks to you personally. Yes? So if you sit there and you're like, I doubt that, wrong words. How about this? God, do that for me. God, speak to me when I read it too. Open my heart to it. Let my understanding grasp it too. I think only because I was asking God, what do you have for me? What do you want for me? Think that I was open and God spoke to me. I heard him call me that night. So I didn't know who to go with, what, what to do. I had no idea. I had no formal background in what to do at that point. So I went to my mom. And I said to her, listen, this happened to me. Middle of the night, what should we do? Uh, my uncle, who's very close and has been like a father to me, my uncle John. My uncle John made an appointment with a pastor for us to go talk to. So we went and sat down with the pastor, and I told the pastor what happened. This is what the pastor said to me. God doesn't speak that way, son. Ow. From 15 to 20, I just wandered. I wandered. No direct, I lost my direction right then. Gave up five years that could have, man, where I, how much further could I even be now? Here's what I know, though. God wants to do something. No odd is too great for him to overcome. He'll get you where he needs you to be. And he did that for me. He's very faithful. But those words stayed with me. That's the call of God on my life. And when we started this church, those were the very words that God used in order to give us a basis for why we do what we do. So in this scripture right here, just these little couple of verses, let me just tell you, here's the win for me every weekend. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's what I don't want you to be ambivalent about. Here's what I want you to jump into. Here's, here's where, look, look at me. I don't care what your background is. What we all have to be willing to do is leave all the baggage at the front door. Let's walk in here and be innocent with each other and say, God, it is not my past that I'm going to live. I'm going to live with you taking me in the future. What do you want from me right now? Where are we? How do we move together as a group? Please do not be ambivalent. Don't let your age, don't let your, your, your background, don't let your comfort or uncomfort be the deciding factor. If God is in what I'm saying, grab hold of it and run with it. Amen? So here's the win. The three things that, here, here's how you could judge 
a weekend by a service by at our church. The first one is the good news. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news. Now, specifically, you may say, yeah, but to the poor. Here's what that means. For those who spiritually are poor, Jesus came to bring the good news. Who is spiritually poor? Everybody who doesn't know Christ. Without him, you are poor. So when we preach, when we teach, when we talk, we're always trying to make it about the good news. Every message should have an element of these three things. Freedom, recovery, and release. Freedom, who's against freedom? Who's against recovery? Who's against being released? Exactly. Don't be ambivalent about it. Maybe your spiritual life rests on whether or not you're willing to jump in. Here's what we say. God, you know where I'm at? You can get me anytime you want to. It doesn't work that way. God's eyes go to and fro on the earth looking for people whose hearts are turned towards him. Let your heart be turned towards him. Let your attention be turned towards him. Give your all to him. I put as an illustration, we just got done with our Christmas. How many of you enjoyed our Christmas Eve services? So, did you think we hit a home run this year? I thought it was the best. Yeah, I, 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 I thought so too. But just a little um, freebie. So the title of the series was Great Joy. And the heart of that message is just an illustration that everything, even Christmas, here's what we're teaching. You remember the angel of the Lord. In the New Testament, God's first words as he interacts with mankind under the new covenant are, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. God, there's the gospel. And if we don't mess that up, it's a compelling message. And in churches, when they mess that up and they don't preach good news, but bad news, like earn your salvation. God is still angry at you. Your sin has not been satisfied. Your, God is not pleased with you. God is not on your side. God's love is conditioned. All those things are bad news. Here's the good news. God loves you based on who he is, not on what you do. And that your life will never change until you actually grasp that because you're on the other side of it thinking, if I get my act together, I can come to God. You'll never get your act together. Or you'll be a phony. One of those two. The good news. One of the things I taught in that series, the top three things, according to Newsweek magazine, that people love to hear, the top three pieces of good news. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. <laughs> Is that not the gospel? Yes, sir. I love you. I forgive you. Come, for all things are now ready. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the gospel. No wonder we... God says he puts eternity in the hearts of all people. Even people who don't know him love the message. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. So let me give you the second thing. Just it, It's a non-negotiable to me. Don't be ambivalent about it. Look for this. Grab. This is where the life of God is at in our church. The life of God. 19, verse 19 reads this way. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's... Hey, read it with me. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say it one more time. To proclaim the year... What's the Lord's favor? So, so can, I, can I biblically teach you something right now? So this, this is just really interesting. When Jesus picks up, the Bible says, here, here's what it says outside of that before uh, Luke 4.18 right there. What it says is that Jesus goes into the synagogue. He is handed the scroll. He opens the scroll and he begins to read. He's reading from the Old Testament. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, the release of those who are captive, the recovery of sight for the blind, to heal the brokenhearted. And then he rolls it back up, and this is what he says. This is being fulfilled right now in your sight. And the Bible says the people in the church were amazed at his words because he taught as one who had authority. But then they intellectually stumbled over what he was saying, and five minutes later they were going to try and throw him off a cliff. But he's quoting from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is reading the scroll from Isaiah. Isaiah, when he wrote it, is actually pulling back from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 25 is the year of Jubilee. When we picked our name, we didn't pick it because it was the most effeminate name we could find for a church <laughs> in our area. In fact, everything we read said, wrong name to pick if you're going to start a church. Call it something like All God's People Community Church or whatever. Just something that's like, you know, we gather together community church. Or let's eat community church. Something that's simple. When you go Jubilee, it almost is a polarized... People have to make up their... Jubilee. I don't, some of you swore you'd never come here, and here you are. <laughs> you think I'm laughing. I'm going to tell you, we got a family goes to this church. When we got this piece of property and tried to build, they fought me on the city council. Fought me. And this was his saying, we don't need another tax-free municipality brought into our city. We need a tax base. We need a Lowe's. We need a Home Depot. We need something in there that collects taxes, not freeloads. That's what the guy told me. And then he came here and got born again. <laughs> and he said, God, it just ruined him. It ruined him. And he tells me that story, and we laugh about that story. He opposed me on the city council. He fought me. And he comes there and gets born again. I love that, man. <laughs> the Lord's favor. Jesus said, look at this again, 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's the Lord's favor? Leviticus 25 said, in the 50th year, Proclaim it as a special year, the year of Jubilee. Here's what the year of Jubilee was. If you had debts, you were released from them. Wouldn't you love, as the Christmas bills come due, to write on there, Jubilee? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to tell American Express, it's a Jubilee year, sorry. Visa, this is my Jubilee, my pastor said. What? Wouldn't you love that? So if you had debt, you were released from your debt. If you owned property and had mortgaged or forfeited your property, you went back to your... See, the property was the inheritance that belonged to Israel. The land is everything. And then last but not least, wherever you were in the country, you went back... Or in the world, actually, you went back to your family during that year. 
So it was a year of release. It was a year of inheritance. And it was a year of restoration. And the very thing that Jesus is now teaching in Luke chapter 4, this is, listen to me, he is proclaiming every 50th year in the Old Testament was a year of jubilee. Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, it's permanent jubilee. It is now the permanent time of God's favor upon mankind. Ah, do you hear that? So that when you come here, dude, you got to listen to me. God is not counting sin against you. He has nailed it to the cross of Christ, taken it out of the way. You come in here, you can claim jubilee. God's blessing is on my life. That's good news. Oh, that's good news. <laughs> the year of jubilee. The Amplified Bible. I don't teach from it. It's wordy. It's showy. But when I study, I use it because it brings out a lot of different words. I pulled Luke 4.19 from the Amplified, and it reads this way. To proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. That's what Jesus is saying. The free favors of God and his blessings now permanently abound for you. That's the covenant that we're under. That's it. That's like a softball. That's the blessing of God. What message would you rather? The law? I don't know about you, but when I got old enough, I hated the law. The law only serves to teach us that we can't keep it. Yeah, it's the perfect way to live, but who can do it? So we need a Savior who does it for us, and then God imputes that righteousness to us. While Jesus takes what we did, we get what he did. God, I just want to teach right now in the goodness of God. Yeah, what the heck? Um, so I haven't done this demonstration for years and years. So you guys want to help me real quick? Okay. Um, you're, you're Manasseh and you're Ephraim. So come here, Manasseh and Ephraim. Kneel before me right down here. <laughs> Seriously, I need you to kneel. I'm too short to do this any other way. Okay. So in, in the Old Testament, we have the patriarchs of our faith. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember? Four of you. All right. Um, the youngest son uh, of Abraham, uh, second youngest son, is Joseph. Joseph was loved by his father in a tremendous way. His brothers hated him because of the love that the father showed to this particular son. You remember that Abraham gives him a coat of many colors. And he goes, and instead of like wearing it around his father, he goes and wears it around his brothers and tells them, look what dad gave me. <laughs> the brothers had to do all the hard work. Joseph was supposed to go into the field and report to his father whether or not his brothers were working hard. How many of you think that would create a culture of conflict? If you're like, I'm not sure about that, I bet you don't have kids. So somehow, Abraham has created this culture of conflict, but he loves Joseph. So his brothers scheme, and they decide, let's do this, man. Uh, let's kill him. 
And then one of the older ones, uh, the oldest, actually goes, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. But let's put him in a pit, and we'll figure out what we're going to do. And he's trying to figure out a way to sa- save his life. So um, just quick, they take his coat, they dip it in um, the blood of an animal, and they show it to his father and tell him, hey, he was killed by a wild animal. And they sell him into slavery in Egypt. He goes to Egypt. God is still with him, prospers him in Egypt. He does fantastic in Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful person under the Pharaoh in Egypt. Even in a corrupt government, God has his people who can do his way. Always hold on to it. Now, some of you think I'm making a sleight of hand statement. I'm, I'm just saying it does not matter when on the face of the earth at any given time, God has his people. So listen. So, so Joseph prospers. He has a wife. He has children. He has two sons. The work of the patriarch, the oldest male in this case, Abraham, was that as he died, he passed the blessing to his sons and his grandsons. The right hand was everything. The right hand is the hand of blessing. I want you to do me a favor. Those of you who read your Bible, we'll do that in a minute. But when you read your Bible, when God deals with his people, I want you to pay attention. It's always with the right hand, never with the left hand. The right hand is the hand of blessing. This bestows all of the inheritance, all of the favor, all of the goodness of God. So Joseph takes his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, sits, puts them before uh, Abraham and, and tells his father, okay, dad, I want you to bless my sons and arranges it so that the oldest is at the right hand and the youngest is at the left hand so that all Abraham has to do is stick his hands out, bless the boys, put the blessing on them. And in the Old Testament, when you were blessed, dude, you couldn't, you were blessed, you were blessed. No matter what you did, you couldn't be unblessed. It was yours. And it meant everything. So Abraham, who can't see well and is very advanced in his age, sits up, goes to bless the boys, and does this number. While he's blessing them, he switches hands and puts the right hand on the younger and the left hand on the older and bestows to the younger the firstborn blessing. Everything that I have now belongs to you, and I'm sorry. (laughs) So Joseph grabs his dad's hands and tries to switch them. And Abraham tells him this. Nope, this was God. And what took place stands and sticks, and there's nothing that can be done about it right now. What does it mean? Some Old Testament momentary thing. It is the gospel in the perfect picture of what God did with Jesus, the firstborn, and us, the secondborn. When he stuck his hands out to bless, he did the old switcheroo at the last minute. And what Jesus deserved, God laid on us. And what we deserved, God put on Jesus. Oh, my God! That is good, man! So that the secondborn, who didn't earn anything... By issue of the blessing has everything. And the one who deserved everything by decree of the Father gets nothing. Oh, that's what Jesus did for us. He took what we deserved and we got what he deserved. So that when we teach it, thank you for helping me. So that when we teach it, thank Ephraim and Manasseh, good Good. I noticed that Evan was able to kneel the whole time and that you were like shaking. I, yeah, that's exactly what you were doing. And notice how the 50 year old sits up here like the patriarch, doesn't do any of those things. 
Thank you for helping me. That, that's the response. It's the win for me. We get to the end and we respond to God. I don't want you to walk out of here now going, oh, God is good. He, he blesses me. I, I want you now. We're going to close. I've been good on my time. I try to pay attention to it every week. We're, we're, it's an hour and 15 minute service. So that we hit this part. And I don't want you just to say, sing a song and go, amen, I'm out of here. Experience now God placing his right hand on your head. So we offer elements. From time to time we say, use the cross. Communion. Here's what communion is for. It's to remind us of the goodness of God, of the promises of God, of the favor of God. Sometimes we, we, we use prayer and people in the back that will pray. I always say if you want to use our altar, we can use our altar. Seldom do people take me up on that, but the altar was always the place of sacrifice. It was always a place to go and to say, God, it belongs to you. I give it to you. God, what is wrong with that? It's not part of our traditional background. Then your background was broken. So let God restore to you what always belonged to you, that when we come together, God, this is a place of healing. This is a holy place. This is a place where God speaks to us. It's a place where God heals us. It's a place where we come together as one group of people pursuing God. Oh, we want God. So coming into this year, I'm trying to involve our worship pastors more asking this. When we close and we, we, we want to go connect, what are you guys hearing? What's God saying? So meeting with our worship pastors and our campus pastors this last weekend, uh, this last week, one of the, the detecting things that I felt and shared with them, how do we do this? I felt like let's, don't, I don't want to use the crosses this weekend. And communion, if we do it this weekend, is going to be self-serve. Because I felt like I wanted to just worship. And I wanted us all together to pursue this in one accord. Let's worship right now. We never say to you, here's the form of worship. You have to raise your hands. We never say to you, you have to kneel. We never say to you, you have to stand. We allow for you before God to do what you think it's supposed to be like. Think about it. I believe strongly in that, and I hold on to that. But I do believe it's a non-negotiable to worship God. Do you? The Bible commands us to do it, and that when we love him, it's the natural response of love in our heart to worship him. I believe that's where the exchange takes place this weekend. That's where God lays his hand on our head and reminds us, I bless you. I'm for you. Let's put together this weekend for that. So I'm going to invite our worship pastors to come to all of our services right now, all of our locations. And even if you're live streaming, so you go, okay, that, that is the one technical part about doing a live stream that I question is it, it, the response. Are we shortchanging people? Are we making it where they don't have to actually drive over and they're not going to get the thing that needs to happen? But I'd rather offer more on-ramps then I would say there's only one or two ways for you to connect with God here. I'd rather give multiple ways for it to happen. 
so that I, I would say to even those live streaming right now, listen. Okay, listen. Don't just sit now and go, okay, watch other people. You've got to make it where you respond to. The impetus is on you, especially even more so when you live stream. You almost have to be prophet, priest, and king of your household when you live stream and not put it up to a pastor to do it. You've got to do it. So, Father, we prepare our hearts right now. God, I don't, I don't believe that ambivalence is the rule of the day, the order of the kingdom, or what the people in this room desire. I believe that, God, at all of our campuses, the desire to jump in, the desire to touch God, the desire to know him, the desire to have God breathe his life into us. He is life. He's the source of life. When he created Adam, he formed him from the dust of the ground and then breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And when this flesh expires, that breath belongs to God and it goes back to him. It's his life. That's what we want to ask God to do in us right now, is to breathe life into us. Church, living in this world, just having to, <laughs> to operate in this world pulls the life out of us. Here's the opportunity to come together and allow God to breathe it back into us. To bring times of refreshing. To proclaim the year of God's favor. To announce again that we live in the time of Jubilee. When the free favors of God profusely abound. God's not withholding. God is pouring out. God is not waiting. He's moving. And looking for people who want to partake and partner with him. As we worship God, allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to breathe life into you. Allow God the opportunity to refresh you, to strengthen you, to cleanse you, to deliver you, to heal you, to impart. And there's so many things that God wants to do. And he's good. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your life that's here. We commit this time right now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet, if you will, and enjoy this little time that we have with worship together.